And now, a word from our sponsors. Gabriella Balcom won the right to have a novel published by Clarendon House Publishing when one of her stories was voted best in the anthology in which it appeared. Her book, On the Wings of Ideas, came out following this. What's your favorite genre? Fantasy? Horror? Sci-fi? Romance? Literary fiction? This multi-genre collection of short stories includes all of that and more and has something for everyone. Gabriella's stories will alternately move you and bring you to tears, captivate or horrify you, and have you on the edge of your seat. Don't miss out. Be sure to get a copy today. Submissions are now open until August 1st for the Sweetie Cat Press Anthology, The Whole Wide World. The submissions should be episodes of no more than 3,000 words and as few as 50 words about the worldwide adventures of Detective Curly Knucklewad and his assistant, Miss Wanda Wowser, as they go on a manhunt for the unknown thief of the limp noodle sauce recipe stolen from the secret government food laboratory in San Francisco. Submission guidelines are in the blog section of the Sweetie Cat Press website at sweetiecatpress.com. That's sweetiecatpress.com. S-W-E-E-T-Y-C-A-T-P-R-E-S-S dot com. Gabriella Balcom's thrilling sci-fi novella, The Return. The world doesn't know about the compound hidden underground and the wealthy investors funding it want things to stay that way. Although it's the year 2027, most of the facility's research is illegal. If animal rights activists had an inkling of what went on, they'd clamor for justice. Human rights activists would scream from the rooftops. By the time 2030 arrives, researchers have worked for a while with feline service units and human replicas. HRs, who are virtual prisoners with no rights. More and more of them are dying and they long for freedom. Surprisingly, one of the top scientists isn't happy with the status quo either. Tensions are mounting and things are not as they appear. Summertime is here, and the best way to beat the heat is with these great deals at MythMart.com. Join the adventure with sisters Emma and Olivia as they journey through the land of imagination in search of Yoon, the magical unicorn, in David K. Montoya's The Missing Unicorn and the Land of the Zombie Fairies. Or travel with poet Christopher Bice as he shares his thoughts on love, death, inspiration, and madness in Escaping the Darkness, Running from My Dreams. If fantasy romance is more your speed, join Celeste and Merrick as they figure out how to defeat the evil Ren doll while they figure out the plans of the elders in Stephanie J. Vardy's The Chosen. Like comic books? We got them too! Hot Off the Press is American Smash by Alan Russo and David K. Montoya for $4.99. Or enjoy our older releases like The Hunter's Exodus for only $2.99. Also, just in time for the summer are these other hot deals like Zoe M. Montoya's Uni Whale t-shirt, blue for boys and pink for girls, only $33.99. Or Lupus Bits the Podcast shirt for $27.99. For all our art lovers, we have something for you too with our prints and lithographs. Check out the Ed Vickford collection for $15 each or enjoy the art of Vincent May for $15. We have everything you'll need to stay inside and beat the summertime heat at MythMart.com. 
For more information, go to www.mythmart.com. Call us at 870-557-2612 or email sales at mythmart.com. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. everybody to the Grindhouse Sleeves. I am your host, Alan Russo. I'm Dave Montoya. All right, today, folks, we're going to go dive back into the 80s to one of my favorite horror films, mid-80s. I guess you would say, well, let's get right down to it. It's going to be Return of the Living Dead. Some people hate it. Some people love it. I love it. What do you think? You know, the thing is, is like, with this type of genre that we usually tackle, it's that's basically it because it's neither you hate it or it's a cult classic with the cult follow. Exactly. And Return of Living Dead, that for me, I think was one of the introducing points as a child that brought me to liking zombies. I've always liked it's just it was a comedic approach to Night of the Living Dead is the way I felt. Well, I mean, when you look at Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, both came out prior to. Right. Your classic zombies. No big deal. They walk around. And up until Return of the Living Dead, they didn't eat brains. They just ate flesh. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, and that's where the whole brains thing comes in, which is great. Because it introduces why the zombies are the way they are. Not just reanimated flesh. They're looking for something to make the pain go away. And yes. then they kind of go into it a little bit about, you know, rigor mortis starts in the brain, works its way down, settles in the muscles. That's why they eat the brains. Because it hurts. Which is actually well, pretty intense. Right. And from a medical standpoint, is actually fairly accurate. And when you look at not just the medical standpoint, but when you get in the later films, you know, it talks about how it needs the electricity from the brain because they don't have brains. You know, their brains are dead. That's what's causing the pain. So the electrons and the neurons, stuff like that, from the, the live brain especially, makes the pain stop, but only for a short period of time. How do I say it? It's sad because, like, if John and George, John Russo, George Romero, if they would have continued on the path, they, I think they could have made an even more epic zombie movie together than individually. Because I find that traditionally, John Russo's films are more entertaining and more enjoyable to watch than with the very straight-laced George Romero. You know, George right. Romero 
you know, we, we, we started him before we've talked about it. He's very straight laced. Here's the point, you know, here's some great shots. Here's the story. And then here's the underlying political theme. As with John Russo, you've got your plot, your subplot, your minor plot to the minor character, plus your overall plot with a bit of humor and comedy pitched in and a little bit of crudity, just, you know, because it's it's a zombie film, you better have some type of, you know, crudeness to it. Right. So it it is more enjoyable, again, speaking for myself, as far as movie watching goes, because there's more, there's more meat to the bone. No pun intended. Okay, it was a pun, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to look at it too. John Russo's actual story was a lot darker than the movie actually turned out, because it starts off with priests, you know, people they're burying somebody. I mean, it's it goes deep, and a lot of his actual story didn't make it to the movie. And really? different, right? Yeah, a lot of different writers changed it along the way because John Russo wrote the original script, and then Dan O'Bannon came in and changed a few things, added some comedic relief stuff like that, which was which made it what it was. And originally didn't like it. They're like, this isn't a zombie flick because they were used to George Romero stuff, straight laced to the point. This one had a comedic effect to it. Well, I mean, right on the, the banner itself, their their tagline was they're back from the grave and ready to party. You right. know, that kind of tells you the direction of the film. But then at, at the same time, too, what I like about it is it explains what happened in the first, in the original Night of the Living Dead, because that was never explained in the movie. No. Okay, well, let's change it up a little bit. Let's take Night of the Living Dead. It was because of a chemical spill at a VA hospital in Pittsburgh. Makes perfect sense. And John Russo actually owns half of Night of the Living Dead. Right. So he, he used what we already knew and expanded to a different canon than you did with Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead with Romero. He changed the canon. Yeah. Because if you go back and watch... Return Night of the Living Dead, Day Dawn of the Dead, then Day of the Dead. It's just a continuation. Yes, it's just all yeah. Right. You think at the beginning, at the end of the first one, they got all the zombies. Come to find out, they didn't get them all. Things go and they continue. Now you're in the third one where everybody's in bunkers trying to figure this crap out. Your lone survivors type thing. With John Russo, they contained it at the end of the first one. Put them all in these barrels, and now you have these four or five barrels in the basement that have been locked away for 14 years. Right. Army's looking for them, because there's your subplot through the whole movie. The Army's looking for them. At the same time, they're like, I don't want to turn them over, because, you know, what's going to happen if I turn them over? Right. You know, and that's what Bert was afraid of. <laughs> Good old Bert. And then you, you really see that. After the events of the leak, he's like, do you really want the army crawling around here? I lose my business, yada, yada, yada. My thing is, why didn't you turn them in 14 years ago if you didn't want anything to do with it? Right. I mean, were you, you keeping it as an oddity? <laughs> were you keeping it as an oddity? I mean, what? Come on. I mean, it's a great story piece, you know, along the way. And then you got Frank that screws everything up. 
by showing them to Freddy. But with Freddy, that was an interesting twist in and of itself. When you bring in Freddy and then you bring in his girlfriend Tina and then the group of punks. You know, right. it's like you look at Freddy and you look at Tina, you wouldn't think they'd hang out with a bunch of punks. Because, you know, just his style wasn't that deep punk. Right, right. But then when you look at some of the other characters, such as Casey, she doesn't look like your typical punk either. No, no, not even. I mean, she looked like one of those girls that just, like, didn't really fit in with the cheerleaders, didn't really fit in over here. Kind of one of those that really didn't fit in. Right, right. Same thing with Chuck. I mean, come on. The suit, really? (laughs) (laughs) When you think about it, about the punk scene in the 80s, Uh uh-huh. They didn't really have a style. Like, you have the ones that were into punk, but didn't dress the part. You know, it wasn't their full lifestyle. The punk and everything else, but on the surface, it's like they didn't want to do all the piercings and the tattoos and the hair. I guess because they were afraid of family trying to get jobs, whatever. I mean, but that was one of the subplots. It's like, it's an odd group of people. (laughs) But... Getting back to the meat of the story, you know, at the very beginning, it specifically states, you know, the events of this movie are true. The events portrayed in this film are all true. The real, the names are real names of real people in real organizations. I mean, seriously? <laughs> I mean, it's a great draw, you know, like, oh, this movie is based on a reality. Hey, let's go watch it. They did the same thing with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, based on true event or actual events. Technically, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was right. They kind of fluffed it a little bit because it wasn't about what you thought saw in the movie. Right. With this one, you would think, I mean, it's a great tagline, but you would think that the events of Night of the Living Dead actually happened. Right. And they just made a movie about it. Everybody's like, oh, this is just entertaining. Cool. And it's like, wait, was that actually true? <laughs> Uh, so what did you find in your research? Dan O'Brien, or Bannon, Dan O'Brien, who's the director, he wanted some of the extras to actually eat brains. Did you know about that? Yeah, and he actually paid him extra to do it. Yeah, but before he did it, he... He, he ate, actually ate brains themselves. Yeah, just to show yeah. that you know, he he's not going to ask them to do something he wouldn't do himself. Right. Now, here's some interesting things that I found. Okay. In 2002, they had some changes to the audio compared to the original. Really? Uh, yeah. The T, I'm not exactly sure what song they're talking about, had been replaced with another song. The Tar Man's voice had been re-recorded. However, the original Tar Man voice can be heard briefly during the closing credits. The line, send more cops, had to be re-recorded. The song, really? Take a Walk. Yep. The song Take a Walk had been removed. Now you only hear it for a few seconds with no vocals. The song Burning Flames had also been shortened. And that's on the re-release. Probably for legal. I don't really think legal because, I mean, they own the rights to it. There's When you change legally, you can keep it original. Why would you change it? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I mean, mean, that's like a couple others. That's kind of weird, yeah. Right. Because it's like, all right, on this one, 
is that on a limited number of VHS tapes released in 86 and 87, the first scene showing the Army colonel arriving at home and discussing his work with his wife was omitted from the beginning of the film. This leaves the viewer at a disadvantage when Bert calls. The number at the end of the film is connected to the same colonel who viewers did not even know yet, which is interesting. It sounds like an uh, editing blunder, yeah. Yeah, well... I don't really think it was an editing blunder. I think it was just a, they didn't realize that cut it. Like some of the other interesting things, like originally when they filmed it, I found this out, when Trash is dancing on the crypt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she rips off her shorts. Originally, she was completely nude. Linnea Quickly was completely nude. But because somebody had a problem with the hair, they they went and they shaved her. Well, really? They come back later actually made her shave and then come back later they reshot it well now you can see everything and so they put on a prosthetic oh, to actually green. cover that area yeah because you could actually see everything, everything. flapping in the wind everything at first it yeah, was I, like no the hair don't look good let's shave it and then they're like wait <laughs> that's a little too much for an r rating so it had to be recut reshot yeah it literally had to be recut reshot so when you actually see her dancing, that's a prosthetic that covers that area. Interesting. Right. And if you look, another interesting little thing that I found, that if you look in the freezer uh-huh. the, before the cadaver comes back to life, when he goes in there and shows him, you know, these are fresh cadavers, yada, yada, yada. If you look at the walls, they're paneling with fake snow. That's exa- That's all it is. I have it's never pan- noticed that. It's paneling with fake snow, and they took expando foam in the corners to make it look like they were frozen. Ah, that's awesome. In the in the original cut, you can't see it. But if you get the the DVD and the Blu-ray cut, you can barely see it the DVD cut. But uh-huh. if you go to Blu-ray or I think I don't remember if they come out with 4K yet. But I know with the Blu-ray cut, you could really see it. Oh I mean, yeah. It's, I'm a, sure it's, it's a it's a bad job. I mean, with the, with the graininess, the VHS, you can't hardly see it. You can't really tell. Right. But if you go to Blu-ray, it's like, oh, my God. It's hilarious to even watch it. And did you ever notice the eye chart behind Freddie and Frank? The what? The eye chart in the office between Freddie and Frank. No, I don't even remember that. Okay, he's standing there. They're, you know, they're standing there doing a little band. What are we going to do? That's it. We're going to call the boss. Well, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Eye chart. Did you ever read it? No. It said it Bert say- is a slave driver. Bert is a slave driver. Really? <laughs> yeah. And it says something underneath it, but I can't remember exactly what it said. But it was like Bert was a slave driving sob or something like that. I mean, it's that's what it was really interesting when I when I found it. So do you you have uh, the Blu-ray copy, right? No, I actually have the VHS copy. And I've got oh, okay. a DVD copy. Interesting little fact. According to Jules Shepard, which played Casey, Dan O'Bannon met her at a strip club where she worked as a stripper. He initially wanted her in the role of trash, but she was at the time fed up with being naked. She then suggested to Dan that she could audition for the role of Casey, the party girl, since she liked the party. Interesting enough. That is. The one that played Spider, Miguel Nunez, uh-huh. he was homeless. When he got the role, he was actually homeless. Wow. Here's the full description of what I was talking about with the, the shooting of trash. When shooting trash okay, is gravestone dance, 
She initially was completely naked and showed pubic hair, as was more than normal in the, late, in the early 80s. However, producer Graham Henderson visited the shoot that day and, according to himself and others, threw a fit yelling at Dan that you can't show pubic hair on television. Dan sent Linnea away and had her completely shaved, which coincidentally Linnea, Linnea herself found to be the most embarrassing part of the whole thing. Then they did another shoot, which Graham Henderson cried out, Oh my God, it's even worse. You can see everything. At this point, they sent <laughs> Linnea over to Bill Munns and William Stout, where they made uh, the actual crotch piece resembling the bottom of G-string and glued it on. According to Linnea, wow. it was a bit of a problem since every time she had to go to the bathroom, they had to remove it. Because of this, there are no shots of Linnea with a completely nude crotch area, like a department store mannequin. <laughs> I mean, I thought that was an interesting, interesting little pot spot. Yeah, it, it, it is. Even though it was '85, it was still professional Hollywood. Right. You know, you you think they would do a little bit better. Oh, here's another one for you. They had to get the approval of Lysol for spray for spray, spraying the stench of death with their product. They liked the idea that Lysol would kill any conceivable odor. <laughs> Okay, here's what the eye test says. Okay. Bert is a slave driver and a cheap son of a bitch who's going bald, too. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's an interesting little thing. Most of the people didn't realize this. The character of Ernie, Don Kafka, uh -huh. is thought to be a Nazi due to him sharing his name with... Ernest Kaltenbrunner. There are also character details that provide an indication of his past. Ernie listens to the German Africa Corps march song on his Walkman while he embalms bodies. Carries a Walter, German Walther P-38, has a picture of Eva Braun in his morgue, refers to the rainstorm coming down like an Ein, I can't remember exactly what he says, which means a drunk soldier in German. Really? Really knows his way around a crematorium, seems surprised and ashamed when he learns that the dead can feel pain. Dan O'Bannon in the DVD commentary mentions that Ernie was indeed to be an escaped Nazi in hiding. Really? Yes. Interesting little fact I picked up. See, that's what day. I'm talking about. The, that, that's what I'm saying with all those those deep, like sub subplots. Right. Like secondary subplots. Well, I mean, I knew. I kind of had that figured out a little bit, uh -huh. you know, when I later on in life, because I've seen this thing a million times since I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I didn't notice the picture of Aaron Braun. I knew the song he was listening to and what he said when the rain come down was German. I mean, you could tell straight up it was not, you could tell it was German. Right. And, you know, it talks about how he was shocked that the dead can feel pain. Because yeah, I remember that line of the movie. What do you mean we can feel pain? And they're like, we can feel ourselves rot. And it's like, you can see on his face, it kind of clicked like, oh, crap. As many people as we put through the gas chambers and kill, if they can feel pain, you know, kind of make him wonder. And then the fact that, you know, the only thing that's going to be wrong or going to be the hardest part is the heart. He said, I can just turn it up, you know, and, and made the, the whole case that, you know, he knew his way around the crematorium and he's talking about you know 
breaking out the rigor mortis, and you won't find that in the book and stuff like that. And which is interesting because back in the 80s, you didn't go to school to be an embalmer or a funeral director. It was taught from person to person. So you went, you you became an apprentice, and then once you became your apprentice, you continued. And so with him saying you won't learn that in the book, it was kind of a weird off-the-wall phrase because you didn't learn from a book. You learned from person to person. And so when he says, you know, word of mouth, you know, you won't find that in the book, it's word of mouth. Of course it is because at that time, you didn't go to school to become an embalmer or a funeral director. You just you started as an apprentice and worked your way up. It was kind of interesting watching him when he was tapping on the glass. You never seen anything bubble. Like you can tell that the actual embalming fluid wasn't doing anything, which I thought was an interesting concept that they did it that way. And something else I found out just a few minutes ago, Toby Hooper was originally supposed to direct it and do it in 3D. That name sounds familiar. Toby Hooper? The director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, see, that that would have been a lot darker. Well, you got to think. Because Toby Hooper directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist. Right. Okay. The original Poltergeist. Gotcha. So imagine if you would have done Return to the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. That would have been serious. It wouldn't have been funny at all. It would have been, like, scary as hell. And the only reason why... John Russo and George Romero split is because they had a difference in sequels. They had different ideas. That's all it boiled down to. Really? Yep. And that and that's what set that's what split them. <laughs> I came across the point or uh, a picture of him. Oh, the point where he crawls into the the furnace. Oh yeah, that was just like hardcore. That scene was uh-huh. improvised. Really? Yeah. The one that played Frank asked to do it. Asked to make that scene specific because it wasn't even in the script. Yeah. That the, was, German, uh... the German title roughly translated instead of Return of the Living Dead is Damn it, the zombies are coming. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, that works too. Yeah. Right. You, you understand? You understand the meaning of the two main characters, right? Two of the main characters. One owns the warehouse, the other one works the mortuary. Think of their names. Bert and Ernie. Oh my god. From Bert and Ernie and Sesame Street. Have you never caught that before? I've never caught that before. No! That was done intentionally. They've been friends for 25 years. It came out in 80, what, 84, 85? 85, yes. So you go back 25 years? What started 25 years prior to the Return of the Living Dead coming out? Sesame Street. That's funny. <laughs> and that was done intentionally. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to have to go rewatch that. It's been a while since I revisited it. It's Like I said, it's a fun flick. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's great to come and, back and rewatch. I was going to say, it never gets old. No. Okay, here's something for you. Okay. The Darrow Cal chemical company uh-huh. that manufactured trioxin in the film is based on the Cal Dow chemical company, which in reality manufactured Angel Orange, a 50-50 mix of 24D and 245T and, and used to strip 
jungles in the Vietnam War, Agent Orange was sprayed in Vietnam, and on the Gagtown Army Base in Canada, it caused a lot of adverse health effects and is no longer used, although it was used extensively in New Zealand up until the 1980s, and so under the name Tordon Brush Killer to avoid being sued by the Dow Chemical Company, and the makers of Return of the Living Dead created the name Darrow, which sounds a lot like Dow when pronounced, Yeah, it was spelled the same. Interesting. You know, I, I think that, that again, and I guess that's kind of where it goes into like the the similarities between John Russo and George Romero is because you both find those mixtures of real life things that you can find in their content. You know, I I, I know that with Return of the Living Dead, you know, it was a very much idea of running a a syndicate of of what's going on with the military that caused all this to happen, you know, as we're with like, we know with George Romero, George Romero just does, you know, his political views. So that I, you know, there is that similarity, especially now telling me that, that they're, they're actually kind of parroting a real life company, but just enough so they don't get sued, but they're kind of putting it out there. So I I think that, I don't know. I, I think that, that adds another layer, another, yeah, another element to their filmmaking, I think, especially with this film. Because, again, I've already said it multiple times, is, you know, it's a fun film, but there is so many layers. Because you, you can't watch this film on just a one pass. No. I know I've seen it at least 20 times, easily. At and least. there's still like I didn't know about the Bert and Ernie thing. Yeah. So you have to go through it so many times and you find something new every single time. Right. Well, it's like the whole Bert is a slave driver and cheap son of a bitch. Till I saw it <laughs> probably five years ago. I saw it online somewhere. I went back and watched it. And I was like, I'll be damned, it is there. It threw me for a loop. That's pretty cool though. I, I like. I like, again, the playfulness. I think that's why I came back. All but three. Three didn't have that playfulness. No, but, it was more serious. Yeah, but the others, even, even uh, what was it, Necropolis? The yeah. last one? Uh, no. no, that no, was no. Brave to the Grave. Yeah, which was a hard watch, but it still had that playfulness. Right. So it kind of carried over. The only thing, the only thing, like for me, part two, Got a little too playful, in my opinion. It was too funny because it was a, yeah, it was a fun watch, but they took too much of the horror element out of it. I mean, it was pretty much like a, a giant comedy with zombies in it. Pretty much yeah. what it was. Yeah. And then with part three, they try to fix it, but they added too much horror, not enough comedy. Yeah, that's one of the only ones that I actually didn't let Zoe watch. Zoe has seen them all, except right. three. I didn't let I didn't let her watch three because I felt that at the time she might be old enough now. But she's almost ten, but when we watched them back then, I felt it was too dark for her. Right. Well, I mean, when you actually look at the you know the sex scenes and you know the fact that she's cutting herself to keep from eating people and all that stuff, I mean that's just a little far. Yeah, in my opinion. Is. Now, Necropolis, it was okay. Wasn't one I would recommend. 
to me, Necropolis and Brave to the Grave, uh, they just made those just because. They had the money. <laughs> they had the funding. Somebody come up with the idea. It's like, oh, yeah, Return of the Living Dead because the other three made great money. So they like, we have an idea, yada, yada, yada. The script was crap. It really was. Because if you actually pay attention to Necropolis and Rave to the Grave, they both have an uncle. It's the same kid. Yeah. Like some of the characters are the same. It's like they took the script of Necropolis, rewrote it, but the kid was off at school, was went off to college and his uncle died instead of Right. You know, it's like, what the hell? I mean, don't get me wrong, Rave to the Grave is funny. But the whole oh god, I guess they were Czech or whatever, you know, those two secret agents were hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were like, they weren't professional at all. It's like, what the hell? I mean, it wasn't, like I said, those two weren't a bad script. They were badly shot and directed, in my opinion. Because, like I said, you know, in Necropolis, he's got the kid's parents that are dead. Yeah. You know, he goes to Chernobyl to get these canisters. It's like, how did they end up in Chernobyl? You know, because you look at the events of the first one, and it's like they have an account for all but the five that are at Unita. So from that point to Necropolis, how do you lose? You know, how does it? How did you end up having two or three canisters there if they had all but the ones that were in Louisville? That to me never made sense. Right. And then, and then when you go into Necropolis or Rave to the Grave. They find the one barrel in a secret room in his uncle's attic. And it's like, yeah. Well, how did that get there? You know, in part two, yeah, I can see part two. They were transporting the barrels to another location. Dude was smoking a dupe. Canister <laughs> fell out and he wasn't paying attention. I get it. That one makes a little sense on how that canister got where it was. Right. And how the event started. Same thing with part three. You can follow it because now they're on an army base. So, you know, you can actually continue and be like, okay, well, that makes sense. But then, like I said, Necropolis and Rave to the Grave, you know, it's like, how did they end up with these barrels if the, when you look back at the other three and the army knew where they were all at? It made no sense to me. Yeah, they, and they went really they, they were reaching. They really were. They were. In Rain of the Grave, they were really reaching because they trioxin out of the barrel and made pills out of it and called it Z. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what the hell? You know, instead of X. Yeah. Taking X's. <laughs> but, you know, it kind of made no sense to me that you get, you get to that point that they reached so bad. I mean, they could have stopped at three and be done. Most people say that four and five are not even canon, which I don't blame. But when you look at it, you know, other than part two or part two and part three, the end of part one is perfect. They blow it up, but when they blow it up, they actually blow up the rest of the canisters. Right. In the process. Release the gas. 
Right, which goes up into the atmosphere, rains again, causes the exact same problem all over again. It doesn't show the release of the gas. That's just what I assumed personally. Right, right. It's like, why would it rain again? You know, when they're dropping, you know, they dropped a nuclear missile. And that's the only thing I could think of is, you know, after the nuclear explosion, all the zombies burned up along with least the gas up into the atmosphere and started the chain of events all over again. And that's why right. you see the ending the way it is. I thought I mean in my opinion it, it's, it's a, it's a it is. I mean beginning to end it's almost perfect. There's a couple of bits and pieces you're kind of like you just kind of shake your head. But then it makes sense. Like one of the big ones is when Freddie and Frank wake up, they're not attacked by Tarman. Okay, that makes perfect sense. And I'll get to that in a minute. And then a few minutes later, they open up the door to the cadaver. That cadaver bypasses Freddy uh-huh. and Frank and goes straight to Bert. You know, and I never paid attention to that. You know, when you look at Tina, she comes down, goes out to the basement, Tarman comes out, it's like, ooh, brains. And then you got suicide comes in he's like what the fuck and then he gets <laughs> yeah. his head bit into you know and I, I thought about it later on because he was released because you're like well he must have disintegrated when he hit the air but you never saw tarman till later right and then you go back and then you go back and watch the cadaver scene he bypasses freddie which is right next to the door runs past frank straight to bert but Freddie and Frank are covered in that chemical. They're already dying or already dead. They just don't know. They're just converting because you know by the end of the because by the end of the movie you find out that chemical pretty much killed them and turned them into zombies. The only thing that I had a concern with, and it was never really explained, it was just kind of a one-off shoot. They killed suicide. You never see Uh, him again. You don't see his body, nothing like that, you know, after that. Now, Trash's character, she dies. She gets pretty much eaten, but her character comes back as a zombie. Right. That doesn't, you know, so that never sat right with me that you never see suicide again. Yeah. yeah, You never see him again after he, right. You know, it's kind of one of those, when they open the door to Tarman, suicide's still laying in the floor, which was weird. Yeah. But with Trash's character, when they eat her, it's still raining. And she falls in, and she's covering the water from the rain. Okay. With the trioxin in it. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm thinking she reanimates and suicide doesn't. Because yeah, you gotta yeah. think, right. Because out of all the side characters, you never see any of them reanimate other than Trash. Yeah, it was only her. And the cop. Because right there, you know, he's sitting there with the flashlight, you know, bringing them in. But they were in the rain. So that's an interesting concept. Because those two characters do come back, but they were killed and eaten in the rain with the trioxin. Suicide didn't. So that tells me, right, if you're not, if you're eaten by a zombie, you're not going to come back. But they changed that in part two. We'll have to talk about part and two. They, that that yeah. was just... They changed so much in part two. 
but that's for another day. Go ahead. Well, I'm just yeah. saying with part two, <laughs> there, there's just there's way too much that that they changed. That you can't. It, it's going to take a while to get through that one, even part three. And there's a lot of things that you can actually tie in part two and part three, but we'll leave those for another time since we're almost up. Yeah, it's a it's a fun. You know, I know people that are legitimately just absolutely afraid of zombies. Like, that's their phobia is zombies. But I don't know how yeah. you can because they're just so fun of creatures and characters. It's just, they're fun. Even, right. you know, I, right. even in like, what what are they called? 28 Days Later, they're still fun. They're creepy as hell, but they're fun. Yeah. I mean, everybody loves a good zombie. Everybody's like, oh, the zombie apocalypse, yada, yada, yada. Honestly, I think the zombie apocalypse, sorry, honest, because people are getting dumber <laughs> by the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, my friend, I think uh, we are at the finish line. If you have not seen this movie, go watch it. I mean, it's it's available everywhere. Everywhere. I'm sure you could probably even watch it on YouTube for free. Uh, or uh, I know it was on Tubi for a while. Or, that's it, Tubi. 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 That's who I was trying to think of. It's on Hulu, I believe. I know it's on HBO Max right now. At one time, it was on Shutter. I don't know if it's still there. So, I mean, yeah, there's many places you can find it. Yeah, because if you've not seen this movie, you're doing yourself an injustice. Definitely. <laughs> this is one of those. This is one of those movies that if you enjoy a good zombie flick and you've never seen this, yeah. You're definitely doing yeah. something just because a lot of a lot of the newer zombie flicks that have come out over the last ten years at least are formed over this movie. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Good times. I remember being under eight. Never mind. We don't yes. want to put that out there. <laughs> we don't want to put out there to the folks. Let's but just say yeah, we were under. Let's just say we were we were under age when that came out. Yeah, yes, very much so. All right, my friend, let's go ahead and send us home. All right. Just remember, don't look under your bed for the monsters because they're already in your head. Mm -hmm. All right, my friend, until next time, I'm Alan Russo. I'm Dave Montoya. Y'all have a good one. All right.